Okay, uh, Mark, one, one, two, 45, 20, 45, right between us. Okay, thanks. <laughs> the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, He saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And continuing on from verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. 
The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Thanks, Chantelle. Thanks, Sam. Just get my stuff together. Hello again. Okay, who are you? I mean, who are you, really? Uh, if you are visiting and want to tune into my accent, I'm from the north of England, so love is love. If you, if you know that, then you're set. Okay, but who are you? I mean, if I talk to you over morning tea, will I get to know the real you? Because we're social people, aren't we? We look at each other, we listen to each other's voices and uh, check out what each other are wearing. Um, we hear stories about what one or other are doing. Um, and I think usually subconsciously, we, we try to work out who we are, who each other are. Uh, some of you have started school this week, and it, it, I remember at high school, it doesn't take long, probably about two minutes, for the dominant people in the class to work out who they've decided you are and give you a nickname accordingly. I think they used to call me Big Bottom Lip Taylor. That's the best they could come up with. Um, but is it a fair, is it a fair and accurate picture of who you are? Um, another school story. I did all right at school. Not spectacular, but I did all right. But I had to do 10 subjects. Normally you do eight. I had to do 10 for one reason or another. And I thought, nobody needs 10 GCSEs like the leaving certificate. I probably shouldn't tell you this on Commissioning Sunday, but I chose one subject to just basically bum around in, have a relax. That was my chill-out time, and it was design and technology. I'm still useless, practically. And Mr. Davenport, the design technology teacher, he thought he had me all worked out. He said, there's Idle, there's Born Idle, and there's Colin Taylor. <laughs> and I experienced for the first time, because I did all right in school, most teachers liked me, but I experienced for the first time what it was like to have been labelled and worked out wrong by someone. 
And today, we'll begin in this series, Who is Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? Most people have got an opinion about who Jesus is. But ask yourself, what is that opinion based on? Have you got Jesus right? Have you given him a fair go to show you who he is? I know lots of you have. I know lots of you have known Jesus for a very long time. But have any misconceptions come in? Is there stuff about Jesus you've just never known before? Or, uh, or maybe you've just forgotten? So much is said about Jesus that it's good to go back to the primary source, to go back to the Gospels. And that's why we're spending this whole term living in Mark's Gospel. That's why we had the whole chapter read out, even though I'll only preach on 20 verses of it. That's why we're hanging around in Mark's Gospel, going back to the source. Because Mark's written this account for us of Jesus, so that we can have a fair go of knowing who Jesus is, why Jesus came, and how we should respond to him. So whether this is the first time you've read Mark, or the hundredth, let's just leave our preconceptions in the car or in our bag, and let the gospel do the talking. So there's an outline there. This time of year always gives me that, I used to call it September feeling in England, that, that start of the school year feeling, starting a new job, um, everything's new. So that's the theme we've gone with, with the headings, like, as if you've got a new job. Jesus starting out, his public life. So where to begin? Well, Mark doesn't beat around the bush, does he? He tells us right from the word go, who he's trying to tell us Jesus is. Verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. I was really impressed when Star Wars The Force Awakens came out. No, don't worry, no spoilers here. But that's my point. I was really impressed at how good everyone was at maintaining the code of silence and not giving away the plot. And if you're that person that still hasn't seen it and all your friends are having to keep quiet about it, go and see it this week. But there's none of that here. There's none of that keeping the plot secret. We're told up front that this is a gospel. That's an announcement of good news that brings good and important news that brings joy. It's about Jesus, a real bloke, a real historical human, just like you and me. He's the Messiah. That's a Hebrew word. The Greek kind of version is Christ, and it means anointed one. More of that shortly. And son of God. Uh, that's a claim that Jesus is God. And this is what Mark's gospel is. It's unpacking what it means that Jesus, the man Jesus, is the Messiah or the Christ uh, and the Son of God. And the, why this is good news. So just to set this scene, so this gospel, it's not written into a vacuum. It's written to particular people uh, at a particular time. Look with me, verses 4 and 5. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem came to him, came, went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. I mean, why? Why is the world and his wife, it seems, trekking out into the wilderness? Well, it wasn't for the scenery. It certainly wasn't for the fashion tips or the local produce, by the sounds of it. It's because they were desperate. They were desperate for God to rescue them. 
for God to make everything right. See, Israel, God's people, they'd returned to their own land, their promised land that God had given them. They'd been in exile, but they'd come back. But it was like turning up on holiday to find that the pristine resort shown in the brochure is actually an unfinished and diseased building site. They were still acutely aware that things weren't how they were supposed to be. It was supposed to be the golden age of of return to former glories. But instead, they had the insult of being occupied by Rome, a pagan empire that stood for everything they were against. And worse still, as for their relationship with God, spiritually, they're still in exile. So there's this yawning gap between how the prophets had said their restoration, going back to the promised land, would be, and the sad reality. How can they put this right? Who can put this right? You know, God made us to live with him uh, as the loving and just ruler of our lives. But all of us, every one of us, get exiled from him when we make ourselves the center. When we give ourselves over to self-rule, to believing in ourselves instead of believing in God. We know things are not how they're supposed to be. We all have that yearning for God and the desire for everything to be made right. For justice, for an end to evil. How can we put things right? Who can put things right? So the first point there, Jesus comes with good references. So who knows who this is? First slide, Elio. No, it's not me. This is Pep Guardiola. And I promise you this is my first and only boring football illustration. Okay? But this is Pep Guardiola. This is, he's widely considered to be the best soccer manager in the world. And the good news is, very good news, since our Leicester Beatles this morning, is that he's coming to Manchester City. And City, Manchester City chose him as manager because he comes with great references. If you're going to choose to follow someone's lead, you want to be pretty sure, you want some information that, that them being in the driving seat is going to be a good idea, that they're the right ones to be following. Pep's um, references, just to put it in perspective, he, he's won 40, as a manager, 14 trophies in the first four years of his managing career. 14. To put that in perspective... City have won three trophies in 122 years. <laughs> but we're on the up. When we're choosing a school for our kids, sure, you can go on a tour of the school, can't you? But the best information is talking to parents, talking to families who've already got kids there. Does anybody know a good plumber or a good car detailer? Because before we fork out loads of money, we want to have some confidence that they're the right person for the job. So it's good to know that Jesus comes with good references. See, God had promised years ago that he would send someone, an anointed one, that Messiah, anointed one who would sort it all out. He would bring God's rule on earth, bring justice, defeat evil, and make it so that anyone in the world can be in right relationship with God. 
So if all that's true, how are we supposed to know when he's going to turn up? Is it like some cosmic blind date? I should be wearing a red rose and standing at the end of the bat. How are we going to know who this man is? Well, God said in the Bible that there would be some signs. He tells us what the calling card for this promised Messiah is. So you don't end up following the wrong bloke. And Mark lays them out for us with a couple of quotes from the Old Testament. There in verses 2 and 3. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. That bit's from a prophet called Malachi. And verse 3, a a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. That one's from Isaiah. By quoting these things here, Mark is telling us that John the Baptist is this messenger. And that's why he tells us what he wore and what he ate. Because the Bible said this messenger would be like Elijah. And lo and behold, here's John sporting the latest in camel hair and accessorizing with a leather belt. Looks like Elijah. Sounds like him. And is also a fan of the local produce like Elijah. So Mark rings loads of bells of recognition firing off in our heads so we don't miss the point. John the Baptist is the messenger who comes before the Messiah. He is the messenger who comes before the Messiah. But there's more. By equating preparing the way for the Lord, that's preparing the way for God, with preparing the way for Jesus, he's asking us to believe something about Jesus. You see, preparing the way meant something like the Champs-Élysées. I think we've got a picture of that, Leo. Yes, all right. Preparing the way, it's like, like the Chance of these eggs, preparing a straight path for the conquering king to process down victoriously. Mark's telling us to believe that Jesus is the Lord. He's telling us to believe that Jesus is God and he's on his way. We can have confidence that Jesus is the promised Messiah because what the Bible said would happen when he turned up did happen. So to our next point, Jesus comes highly recommended. Highly recommended. So first up, there's John's recommendation, John the Baptist's recommendation, verse 7. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's saying, look, it's not about me. I'm just the support act, the messenger. Jesus is the message. I'm just like the police motorbikes that come before the peloton of cyclists and the tour down under. Jesus is the message. But that's not all. There's an even better reference coming. The ultimate recommendation. Verses 10 and 11. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water... He saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You know, when you hear a line from a song, it just brings the whole song to mind, doesn't it? I've got a picture of one here. This is great. This is a flooring contractor's van. It's called Richard McKinley. You see, he's got Lino Ritchie. Hello, is it me you're looking for? (laughs) 
See how you're doing there? Hello. <laughs> Everybody knows that song, and now you can probably hear that song going through your head for the rest of the sermon. Please try to concentrate. So we hear a line from a song. It brings the whole thing to mind. God himself tells us that two important songs from the Bible are about this man, Jesus. So first line, the first bit from a song is, you are my son whom I love. That's from a song called Psalm 2. And it's a song that asks the question, why does everyone, why does the whole world plot in vain to throw off God's rule and to rage against his promised Messiah? And the song says it's plotting in vain because God says to his Messiah, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth, your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. So right here, at a fixed point of history, to the real human being Jesus, God says, this is about you. God wants us to believe that Jesus is the one who will rule over the whole world and judge those who rebel against God. But there's another song lyric. With you, I am well pleased. Now, this is from Isaiah 42. It's the part that we heard um, at the very start of the service between the songs. And it's one of what we call the servant songs. And these are beautiful songs about a servant of God who is completely faithful. Like the ideal Israelite, the ideal person of God. And yet someone who will be unspectacular, ordinary looking. And one who would bear our suffering and be punished by God despite being completely innocent. And so for the first time ever, we've got these two ideas, the king with authority over all creation and the servant who pleases God but will suffer to save us. They're brought together. And they're brought together by God himself in Jesus, the man from Nazareth, who's currently standing up to his waist in the River Jordan. Who is Jesus? He's God's son. The king who will rule over every single one of us. And he's the servant. The one who will go on to suffer for every single one of us. So let's see if Jesus lives up to his reputation as we come to his orientation day. Or more accurately, his orientation days. Excuse me. Verse 12, at once the spirit sent him out, sent Jesus out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. So immediately, and you get a lot of this immediately in Mark, it's a bit like, it's all breakneck speed. Immediately the spirit sends Jesus into the wilderness. Now for the original readers, you hear the word wilderness you're going, oh, it's, it's, it's like a meme or a trope. And it brings to mind Israel's history. See, whenever Israel, the Israelites have gone into the wilderness, it's not usually gone very well. They usually end up rebelling against God. They've worshipped idols. They've failed to trust God. But Jesus goes out to the wilderness and he goes toe-to-toe with Satan. 
the God of this world. He faces the test we all face. Who will we serve? Who will our lives be orientated around? Around Satan? The one who's all about self-determination and keeping God out of the picture? Or will we be faithful to God? See, Jesus is uniquely qualified to save us because as well as being the son of God, he's one of us, flesh and blood, really going through real difficulties, suffering and temptation, just like you, just like me. And Jesus resists Satan here and for the rest of his life. And that means he can represent us, Jesus can represent us as the perfect human. I dare say some of this year will be a struggle for all of us. And the promises made this morning, great promises. There's going to be times when it feels really hard to keep them and we'll be tempted to break them. When it all just seems too hard. But in those times, remember, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus knows what it is like for us. Ask him for his help. And now Jesus begins our orientation. Verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. Proclaiming the good news of God. The time's come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The waiting's over. All those promises you're holding out for, that that hope you have that it's all going to turn out, right? It's arrived. The moment's arrived. It's started now. Now, the start of the new year, start of a new term for lots of you, we have good intentions, don't we? I'm not going to leave it to the last minute this time. I'm going to map out all my assignments and I'm going to do them well in advance. And nothing's going to catch me by surprise. I'm going to be carefully staged process. And then life happens and you end up doing it at the last minute at three o'clock in the morning. You can ask David Wright, one of my lecturers, whether I ever did that or had anything late. But what's your deadline for getting serious about Jesus. What is it you're waiting for that's going to make you decide whether to follow him or not? What's your deadline for bringing yourself in from the fringes and making the kind of commitment we all made earlier in the commissioning? Because deadline day is up. The kingdom of God. That's God's rule, over, God's rule over the world. God renewing, making right and bringing justice to the world is at hand. The countdown's ended. The alarms are going off. The course of history is changing right here, right now. Why? Because Jesus is the good news of God. Jesus is the promised king. So Jesus is the kingdom of God being at hand. And how does Jesus tell us to respond? 
Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. So repent, that means to change your mind. It's not just being sorry, it means to change your mind. Change it in a, in a way that means you're going to change what you do. Turn around, walk the other way towards the new thing you fixed yourself on. Believe, believe the good news. Believe what Mark has shown us about who Jesus is and trust in Jesus. All those Bible verses in the commissioning, they, can, they, warm, they warm our hearts. I love reading them, but they can prick our consciences too, can't they? They can shine a light on where we've not really repented. Can I encourage you? If something was holding you back from making those promises this morning, repent of it. Turn away from it. Confess it to God. And trust that because of the perfect servant, Jesus, who knows just how you feel, you are forgiven. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. God's rule is here, including ruling you. Believe in Jesus. Ask him to help you out. Now notice what Jesus doesn't say is, here's a list of things you need to do. To make the kingdom of God come near or happen. No, the kingdom of God is at hand in Jesus. Jesus is telling us what has happened, not how to make it happen. He's given us good news, not good advice. And sharing that news, serving in that kingdom already at hand, that's what we all signed up for this morning. And so to my last point, Jesus calls us to the best job in the world. So just as we might be thinking, oh, I wonder what this repenting and believing looks like practically, you know. Mark tells us about Jesus calling his first followers, and it's at breakneck speed, isn't it? The way Mark's written, so fast, it feels like you're watching one of those old silent movies where everything moves at double speed and, and jumps around the Keystone Cops, Harold Lloyd, that sort of thing. Verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little bit further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And this is what repenting and believing looks like for these first disciples. So three things I want us to notice here. Firstly, they left at once. They didn't hang about. Now, when we preach here, when we teach, we never want to manipulate or pressure or coerce. We want to persuade, but we don't want to coerce or manipulate. We want to tell you what God would have you know from the Bible. But I can't pretend that it's not urgent news. Because urgent... Is how Jesus presents it, how the Gospels present it. None of us know how long we've got to respond to this. Follow Jesus at once. Follow Jesus without delay. Secondly, there was a significant cost to them following Jesus. Simon and Andrew leave their nets, verse 18, their very livelihoods behind. 
James and John leave their nets and the dad and the hired servants behind as well. Following Jesus, repenting and believing in him, it's going to cost you. You can't put Jesus in the driving seat and expect everything to stay the same. I'm really thankful to God for you making the promises you made this morning. Because it represents you repenting and believing and following Jesus. And I know there's a real cost involved in time, in relationships, in money. You might lose friends keeping these promises. You'll definitely lose some free time. You repenting and believing might stall your career. It might make things difficult with your family. And I have to admit, I had a real dilemma at the end of last year whether to let my registration as a radiographer slip or not. And I'm genuinely gutted that I might well have taken my last x-ray. And look at Tim. He could have been an intern now if he just stuck at medicine instead of nurturing our youth. And Jamie, I reckon we'd all be going to Jamie's uh, sell-out fringe show if it, if it had gone purely for music and not ministry. Heaven knows what it would have been like, but I'd sure we'd all have been there. <laughs> but we're not complaining. We're enormously grateful to you and to God that we get the privilege of serving alongside you. Because not just us on staff, but all of us here, we've got the best job in the world. That's the third thing I wanted to point out. Verse 17, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. We get to partner with Jesus in sharing the good news. To call people to enter God's kingdom by trusting in Jesus and helping one another to grow in him. So when Paul and Alex and Unzi and others, Adrian and others, come in and shift a hundred chairs and bring everything out of the crash storeroom on setup, they've set up a space where we can comfortably hear and worship God. When Anne Blakeway brings, on a, brings and arranges lovingly on a platter the morning tea for the mixers kids week in, week out, she's helped them to feel loved at church and she's fed the brain so they've got half a chance of us being able to teach them God's word. And when Mike Hearn prepared yet another Bible study that I was supposed to be doing for, growth, for our growth group because I couldn't do it because I had an assignment due, Pulling more, doing more than he was, should have been able to do. He was making sure that our group was remaining rooted and built up in Christ. And when the person on proclaiming PowerPoint patiently enjoys us all looking at them when one slide has gone wrong, and it's usually the preacher's fault, well, they just deserve a medal. All of this is costly, but it's so worthwhile. Because it's of eternal significance as we help one another and the world to repent and believe in Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's Jesus of Nazareth, the bloke, a real human being who knows firsthand how hard all this is and is able to help us. 
a real man who resisted Satan and pleased God perfectly so that he can be our perfect representative. Who is Jesus? He's the son of God, the one who has all authority over all creation. He's the, who is Jesus? He's the servant who pleases God perfectly, but suffers the punishment we deserve in our place. Who is Jesus? He is the good news of God. God's rule coming into the world in a new history-changing way. Repent, change your mind and direction, and believe in him. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. It's not a magic prayer or anything, but um, if you want to repent and believe, I'm going to say a prayer that will help us to do that. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this gospel. Uh, Lord, we recognize and we admit and confess that we have lived with ourselves in the driving seat and we acknowledge who Jesus is, the Son of God, the one who brings God's kingdom. We're sorry for the things we've done wrong and for living without you and we repent. We turn around and we believe. We believe and trust in Jesus to save us. Amen.